You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, y'all. This is Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First and the host of this podcast, Women of Influence. This podcast features conversations with Columbus's leading women in business, in which they talk about how they gained power, how they keep it, and how other women can follow in their footsteps. Today, we're chatting with Kathy Little, Chief Human Resources Officer for Worthington Industries. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Well, it's great to be with you. This is a little, uh, little uncharted territory for me. One, first, my first podcast, but also doing it uh, this way. I was actually looking forward to getting to sit down with you. Yeah, yeah. so I was going to say, Kathy has the honor of being our first Women of Influence guest to record remotely uh, as we all adapt to the, the COVID-19 pandemic. So how long have you been working from home? Today is two weeks, officially. Okay. Yeah, that's about, we started, what was that, the Friday, the Friday before St. Patrick's Day. So we're just a little bit over that. But, and how yep. is it all going for you? Have you figured out a system that works? <laughs> well, I would say that the the last two weeks were pretty crazy. They were, uh, you know, we were just really getting into the throes of this. And from an HR perspective, it was a demanding time, a good, you know, 10, 12 hour days uh, for the most part during those those couple of weeks. And my husband, Jeff, uh, who works at JPMorgan Chase is home too. And it's actually been nice. I mean, we have our separate uh, stations. Um, I have uh, commandeered the dining room table as the HR command center for Worthington Industries, and he is uh, operating for J.P. Morgan Chase in the in the kitchen area. And uh, but it's great to have him to bounce ideas off, or you know, vent a little, or just talk about you know all the issues. And we we have some good back and forth conversations over lunch. So from that perspective, it's been nice. I mean, we both have stuck to our schedules. We're not sleeping in till ten or anything. We're up early. <laughs> up early doing our thing. And um, I think the thing that I have really appreciated about all of us being separate is how hard we are all trying to make sure we connect. And in talking to some of my team members, and I'm particularly trying to reach out to those that are home alone, they have found it to be kind of an incredible experience where they are getting to know their teammates ever better, really demanding that people use their cameras, no matter what you look like. Um, <laughs> I felt like I've had makeup on for the last two weeks and pretty much, you know, pretty casual wear as I think yeah. all of us. But um, yeah, really interesting times. I, it will be, it'll be interesting to see how we come out of it. Um, I, I am, uh, I'm wondering how changed we will be 
but before that, we've, we've got a long way to go before we're on the other side of this. I've been gradually shifting down the amount of makeup I wear, and I'm now, for a while, just mascara. Now I'm like, whatever, these people can all see how I look. But yeah, I imagine in the, the human resources world in particular, can you talk a little bit more about the type of work, new work you're having to do? Is it a lot of that sort of, you know, checking on people? And, or, or how has your day job changed because of this? I think there was just a massive amount of things we had to do to sort of gear up, um, particularly here in the state of Ohio, where we have our facilities are all operating as part of the business essential you know, designation. And all of us that have been in the office have been home, like I said, for a better part of a week and a half, maybe two weeks. And um, we just had to go through a lot of scenario planning, um, mm -hmm. as everybody is doing just to how to deal with the situation. And obviously the, the thing that is most paramount is that we are making sure that our employees are all working in a safe place and that we are taking every precaution that we can. And I've been really proud of the response and how quickly we have moved on all those things. I mean, everybody started off keeping their hands clean, right? I mean, we were all making sure and, and the social distancing, we all kind of got that. But, you know, imagine doing that in a plant it makes it, um, you know, ever challenging, but I, I just hats off to all of our employees and our operations team and our HR team. I mean, we have really jumped in on this to be sure that we are doing all those things that you would expect us to do. I mean, we've staggered lunches uh, in our lunchrooms. We've even, you know, figured out, we've really kind of gone back to where we were on, on uh, checking in on our uh, time clocks and used to be electronic, but that became a gathering place. We knew mm -hmm. that that wasn't going to be, you know, what we wanted to accomplish. So now we're back to manual uh, payroll um, through this period, which is necessary. And, and that's what we'll do. And making sure people are being smart about things. You know, the locker room is, you know, full of a bunch of people. So we're making sure we're staggering that and actually asking people not to go in there much, come to work ready to go versus changing when you get there. So just a lot of things that you might take for granted uh, normally that we have really jumped in on and rotating shifts and keeping uh, people apart um, has been, uh, you know, the daily priority for our, our operations. And um, yeah, for, for me, it is, you know, just leading my team. And I'm lucky that I inherited a great team and um, they are all leaning in really hard. And we've set up a, an internet community page like so many folks have to be able to to have the whole team check in and send messages. And I'm talking to my team on a daily basis and we are turning our cameras on at 8.30 in the morning, but that's important. I think you're much more engaged and you know, we're having the conversations we need to have while the economy all around us is going to be challenging. So yeah. we, we know that we're going to have some challenging days ahead um, on a lot of fronts. So it's been a, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of stuff whipping through, um, a lot of phone calls, a lot of writing, a lot of protocols created um, so that we are all, you know, handling all of the situations that are out there. So it's been, um, it's been stressful, that's for <laughs> sure, and uh, a bit overwhelming at times. And, you know, certainly all of us are experiencing this uneasiness and this cautiousness about how long and then what's ahead and then will another wave hit um, after that. And that's all unnerving and feels very different for me, I think, than 9-11 did although we were all on edge for that period of time for a while too. But this is, um, yeah, this is really different feeling. Well, I think certainly that sort of, there's just 
no a time time moves both quickly and slowly right oh, so you, you yeah. like you know march there's so many jokes on the internet about how march has been you know the longest epoch a year <laughs> but then also there's you think oh we'll know more in mid-april or late april we'll know more then and we'll but but who knows what we'll really know or how things that's will right that that's point. right i mean this is a this is a thing that isn't uh you know doesn't give a lot of clues i mean we have some but um this is uh you know there has to be some patience involved here but you know also just being really mindful of what we know and making sure that we aren't doing things that will, you know, keep it around. I mean, I, I want this thing, I want this thing gone, um, <laughs> but you know, it, we're going to rely on a lot of people to, to make that happen. But um, for sure, interesting times. I have, uh, I have said to people, it's really was a great time to be in HR. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, kind of monumental, but um, again, our, our entire company has responded in really, terrific ways and um you know we'll get through it and that's our attitude we're going to get through this um we're going to we're going to figure this out we're going to protect our people and it's you know always been a people first culture and that is very evident uh day to day in uh, all the things that we are doing i usually ask this later in the interviews but what are you doing to to de-stress or unwind after <laughs> long days or, or the weekend such as the yeah day? Well, walks are really important to me. They, they've always been important to me as stress relievers. So I really tried to continue to make that happen. You know, Jeff is great because he walks our 110 pound yellow lab every day, a couple times a day. So he's definitely getting it. But I, I am relishing that sort of quiet time. I don't wear earbuds. I like hearing the birds and I've enjoyed seeing kids on the street riding their bikes and playing um, really kind of not really aware of probably a lot that's going on around them, or actually they probably are mm -hmm. um, much more aware than we think they are. Uh, and I play the piano. The piano is my, uh, I mean, music is important in our household. So we'll oftentimes have, you know, Apple music or something playing in the background, but I have a piano that is my, uh, my way to release things and um, just spend, I actually have found myself jumping on in between conference calls. Don't tell anybody that, but um, <laughs> A bang out a couple songs and it, it's just a, a nice release for me it makes me feel like I'm in control of something yeah, that's very nice I do feel like like walks have become such a like everybody's activity you know it's like the most important part of the day when am I gonna get my walk in so. absolutely yeah it's a drag when it's raining because it's yeah. like I'm not I'm not that hardcore that I'm going out in the yeah. rain but um I miss it on those days I most definitely miss it. I don't, you know, the cold doesn't stop me, but um, rain is usually something I'm yeah. not really excited about walking in. But yeah, I mean, it is, uh, it's always been a, um, it's allowed me to have a clear head. I also ride in Pelotonia, so bike riding does that for me too. But, um, you know, the walks are kind of my, my refuge. I, I uh, miss them if I don't get to do them. And if it's not every other day and it stretches out, I, I can tell that I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm more anxious, you know, than I, than I would be. Pivoting kind of to talk more generally about you, I wanted to get a little bit of background. So are you from Ohio originally or where did you grow up? I am. Um, I am from Ironton, Ohio. It's about a little over two hours south of here. Right down on the Ohio border, River. Kind of, right? Yep, that's right. I rem the last time I drove, we drove to Virginia to visit my in-laws, I noticed all of the signs for Ironton. So it's stuck yeah. in <laughs> 
It's a beautiful part of the state. Hit tough times in uh, the 80s. It's not the, the place necessarily that I remember, but yet um, it's such an important part of who I am. Born, raised there. My parents for, were from down there. And um, it's, it's a place that stays with me. Unfortunately, I don't really get down there much anymore because my parents have been gone for a bit. So, Did you start your career as a, as a TV news person? Is that correct? Actually, I was in radio. My father was a newspaper man, so I, I kind of came into all of this uh, kind of honestly. My, my, both of my parents were certainly role models for my, my two sisters and my brother. They were very active community people, and my father was the managing editor of the Huntington Herald-Dispatch. You know, they were both uh, World War II, certainly raised in that period. My dad was in the war. My mom was a big volunteer during the war and Depression era, so, um, you know, our... Our values were um, were really important part of our our growing up, and um, but my dad was in the newspaper business, so I think I was kind of drawn to the news world. My older sister um, also went into um, the journalism world. Um, she's a few years older than me. You're welcome, Connie. I didn't say how many. <laughs> and my brother uh, was uh, in the radio world for uh, most of his career, if not all of his career, and um, he uh, just retired the last few years. Was the general manager of two radio stations down in Portsmouth. So we, we kind of were a communications family. My younger sister actually was the one that went into the, the medical field and uh, does some work in workers' comp down in Arkansas. So radio was kind of my thing. And uh, I broadcast communications, uh, graduate of Eastern Kentucky University, came back home for you know about a year. I was at uh, the station where my brother was working and I did the news, but I also was Kathy Stevens on the air. So we didn't sound like we were married. We didn't want to sound, you know, didn't use my maiden name. Uh, and so I, I also, uh, you know, had a three hour uh, music shift, which was fun, but I took the news end of it really seriously. Actually, the, the city at that time went into bankruptcy. So there was uh, quite a bit of news to cover. And um one afternoon, I had a call from somebody at TV and radio, Dave Claiborne, who was the assistant news director at the time, called to see if I was interested in coming up and interviewing for a, a news position. I thought it was my brother pranking me um, <laughs> until my brother walked in the door at the station, and then I realized, oh, I need to start like paying really close attention to what he's saying. It was all because, uh, and I talk about this a lot with younger people, that you never know who's watching. Someone's always watching how you are, you know, the work you're doing or what you're doing. And I happened to do a newscast one day and the AP editor that had called from Columbus was calling me about a story that um, I had been intimately involved in. The Chesapeake School District had teachers on strike and she wanted some details. And I said, hey, I got to do a newscast. I'll put you on hold. She heard me do the newscast. And so <laughs> when Claiborne called her, she said, hey, you know, there's this gal down in Ironton. You got to give her a call. So. Wow. The rest of history, and I uh, packed up what my few belongings that I had, came north, and uh, you know started my life in Columbus. Do you miss journalism today? <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about this the other day. I was watching the the governor's uh, news conference on Friday, and it really was the first one I got to watch, uh, pretty much all the way through. Mm -hmm. I took notes on my phone, and <laughs> uh, just like a reporter, and I sent it out to our leadership team because I, I thought Fridays you know, news conference in particular, he had some important information about length, um, how long this, you oh. know, how, what his view was in terms of how long we, we were going to be sheltering in place. And uh, yeah, we miss it. I mean, we're probably terrible people to watch the news with because I, I met Jeff um, when we were both at Channel 10. 
Uh Um, He he stayed in news a little bit longer than I did, but you know, we we are, we used to be really critical of of newscasts and particularly the local, but I think once a news person, always a news person, um, it's kind of in your blood. And I am grateful for those days, the days in the newsroom, the days, you know, covering tough stories, the adrenaline rush of, of, you know, getting something on the air. That's why I loved radio because radio was so much easier. (laughs) TV was a little more complicated with, you know, live trucks and satellite Mm -hmm. booming it back, beaming it back. But I think that prepared me well. I didn't know it at the time, but the skill set. I think stays with me today. It's about making sure the information is absolutely correct. And, you know, how do we know it's factual and um, making sure that we're communicating well so people understand. And uh, just that, that deadline thing, you know, just being able to crank stuff out and get stuff done. Those were all, I think, really important staples, if you will, in terms of skill set that, that Jeff and I would both say we benefited from greatly. Well, and what prompted you to make the move to to get out of journalism, and how did you wind up at Worthington? Yeah, so it was interesting. I um, we both were at Channel Ten when the news director got fired, and yeah. um, the news world was changing quite a bit then. It was there was a I don't know a lot more focus on happy talk and less on stuff that was happening. I mean, news content was still important, but there was a bit of a shift going on, and so we kind of looked at each other. We had been married just a few months, and uh, and that was taboo right then. Oh, wow. Sort of like we kind of had a relationship that we kept on the down low. But I said, I need, I think one of us needs to get out of here. If we're going to have a life together, I think this could be a tough business for us both to be yeah. in. He stayed and um, actually ended up getting some fantastic experiences as the producer of, I think, nearly every newscast at Channel 10. And I went on to the Columbus Chamber, oh, okay. um, where I was for about nine years or so. And Back then, it was really the intersection of all things in Columbus in terms of getting things done. It certainly was the business address for all Columbus businesses um, at the time. And it was just an exciting place to be. There was a, you know, this, I'm talking late 80s or up into the, uh, you know, early mid 90s. And I got to work on some pretty cool things. And uh, one of them being getting the Columbus crew here. Talk about that experience a little bit. Well, it was fantastic. I mean, we, we had the year prior, um, FIFA had been in to take a look at Ohio Stadium to consider Columbus as a spot for the World Cup. And in the end, they ended up picking Detroit because, of course, who wouldn't think about grass growing in the Superdome? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was a, a bit of a bias. Columbus was, you know, kind of just start, starting to move in a direction where people were starting to notice us. Certainly not the where we are today, but um, kind of breaking out and, and, you know, feeling like we had something to prove and to show. But they came back in the following year or so and, and wanted to know if we'd be interested in a major league soccer team. Of course, we wanted to be in that mix. And uh, we had about 50 some days to sell 10,000 tickets. And so that was fun because we got to pull out the stops and do a lot of fun things to uh, make that happen. And we ended up overachieving. I think we ended up selling over 12,000 thanks to some really, you know, incredible uh, corporate presidents who company presidents who got involved and, and helped us with their vendors in terms of buying tickets. So, but that was really an exciting time. Very proud of that. And I think that that certainly helped launch us into a category where the NHL started looking at us kind of like what's going on in Columbus, really an underserved market. Um, and so I was at the chamber when this whole notion of um, a, hockey, a hockey team 
um, coming to Columbus if we could figure out an arena. And so I ended up going on loan to the Issue One campaign then to try to pass a sales tax uh, to build the arena and stadium. And uh, I'm so grateful there was no social media at the time because it was a hard enough, uh, hard enough job as it was. Um, but I was the head of communications for the campaign and you know, it was, it was devastating when we lost, but when I look back, it was such a great experience, uh, all the ups and downs and twists and turns. And ultimately there I stood uh, in June of uh, 97 and there was a ticker tape parade because of what happened, what transpired after that election loss with Nationwide stepping up to build and Mr. McConnell raising his hand to say, I will, I will help build or I will help own the team. Then I got tapped on the shoulder at one of those rallies uh, by John Christie, who a really important person in my life. Fortunately, he passed away at the, towards the end of last year, but he was actually the president of the chamber when I went there. He actually hired me and um, asked me to come up and help. And he'd been working with us on the campaign and he asked me to come up to the McConnell's personal holding company, JMAC, and help open the business office for what was going to become the Columbus Blue Jackets. Cool. It was cool. It was very cool. <laughs> and then I did that for about two years, and uh, that was that was an incredible time. I mean, we got to visit a lot of uh, NHL cities. I was in Nashville when Nashville uh, dropped their puck a year before us, yeah. and uh, you know, working with Nationwide on uh, the arena, and uh, then ultimately the Ice House, the practice facility, and then John P. McConnell, Chairman and CEO of Worthington Industries, said, "I I really need a communications person." at Worthington, would you come up? And I was like, but the team hasn't started yet. He was like, well, you could still be involved, but I need you to come up. And so um, I did. 20 plus years later, what a incredible opportunity for me to work for such a terrific company uh, with such a legacy and um, getting to do some really powerful things and really gave me a platform to work in the community on behalf of the company and to get to be involved in just a number of good things. Just really proud of that and felt so fortunate to be given that opportunity and then did my very best to make sure I made the most of it, including you know, taking on an investor relations role, which I kind of went into kicking and screaming, but I'm so glad I did that because it stretched me and I have a much deeper understanding of the company as a result. And, um, and then here I am today running... Um, HR, which wasn't really in the plans for me, but I was ready for a change and thought maybe I would leave the company about 18 months ago or so. John said, I've, I've got another idea and I want you to consider it. So oh. that was too good to pass up because yeah. the culture is really important to me and I've lived it and um, witnessed it. So, so here I am. Was there much of a, a learning curve going from this communications, investor relations roles? Yeah, to sure. I mean, Look, I, I have not come into this job saying I am a, um, an HR professional, but I don't need to be because I've got that talent on my HR senior leadership team. I've got, you know, people that have had this experience working in the HR field for, you know, 20 plus years. And so I rely on them. I think what I bring is good business acumen, sort of good sense around, you know, how we should approach things. And and really non-traditional CHROs are kind of kind of becoming a thing. I, I think, you know, coming from communications where we had worked very closely with HR, so it wasn't mm -hmm. totally foreign to me. But yeah, there's a lot I don't know, but that's why I have really great people around me that 
can help fill in the blanks. And, um, but I'm learning a lot, which is really great. I, I've loved that part of it. You know, it's sort of kind of opened my eyes. I had no idea, but you know, when you're in the people business, there's a lot you don't know. <laughs> um, and, um, so it's been, um, really enriching to my career and, um, I really, I've loved every minute of it. And John McConnell has asked me a couple of times, are, are you enjoying yourself? And I said, yeah, this might be crazy to say I am, but I am. And he said, well, it was really probably one of his favorite jobs. Related to that kind of, before you got involved in the, the crew stuff and then also the hockey team, were you a big sports fan or were those also? Yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a, I was a tomboy. I had an older brother and I was, you know, out in the field playing football until my mom said I wasn't allowed to anymore. Played basketball in high school, played softball from, for much of my life until my niece said stop playing softball. <laughs> so I've always been, um, and then Jeff, Jeff and I share our love for live sports. Um, yeah. So, you know, we were Columbus Chill fans. So we, we were taking my, my son, my younger son then to those games. And so we definitely been around it. But I've always appreciated, Jeff and I have always appreciated what sports um, can do for a, a city. And so, you know, kind of seeing all of this unfold and, you know, even getting to see the Clippers um, come downtown with their ballpark. I mean, I just think that is, um, that's added so much to sort of the yeah. fabric of our community. So. How did it feel when it looked like the crew was going to leave town? Yeah, I was sad about that and a little bit angry, um, <laughs> to be quite honest. I, I kind of kept tabs on it from afar, but, you know, knew that there was a lot of effort being made to, to keep it here. And so I'm really glad. I mean, I think it's wonderful what's happened and excited to see them in their inaugural season in their new, uh, in their new stadium. Well, related to that, you seem like a person who's obviously very involved in the community. It's a lot that you're, you're doing and have your fingerprints on. How do you decide if a, you know, a board seat or an opportunity like that is something you should take on? And how do you say no, if it's not? (laughs) It's a great question. Uh, something that I like to talk about. I mean, I, I think it is incumbent upon us to be active, you know, committed citizens. You know, it takes all of us to help make a community and volunteering is such a important part of how we operate as a community. But I don't want to say yes to anything where I am not going to show up for it. You know, if I, if I can't be all in I'm not going to say yes to it. And that doesn't mean great organizations that have asked me to participate. It doesn't mean they're not doing a great job. It just means that maybe for me, um, I don't have passion around it and don't feel like I can be all in. And I think they appreciate that. I mean, no one wants, no one wants somebody just sitting on a board. You know, if you're not going to, if you're not going to be a, an active participant, then you should really do that sort of gut check. I made a mistake, a couple mistakes early on in my board career when people were asking me and it was about the people it was about the who instead of about the what Mm -hmm. Um, and I said yes to two that you know it wasn't a good experience for me and it wasn't a good experience that was on me that was because I at the end of the day wasn't that into it and so um, I think really being mindful and thoughtful about that yeah I mean it's hard to say no but I think you're better off doing that and so is the organization that's asking you because if you can't show up um, if you can't be there for them in, in a way that I think, you know, everybody sitting around a board table should, then you really kind of have to do that gut check and sort of search your, search your heart and make sure that if you're going to sign up for something, make sure you're, you're going to be all in. Just a few more questions. And one of them kind of on the, 
the overall theme of this podcast. Uh, what does gender parity look like in leadership roles at, at Worthington? I imagine manufacturing is a bit of a, a male-dominated field. Are, are you rare as a woman in a leadership role there, or how does the company approach that? I think I'm less rare. It hasn't always been that way. You're right, in manufacturing, it's been a little probably more slow moving uh, than we would like. But, you know, our board, for instance, uh, John McConnell uh, made a decision many years ago to recruit two really top-notch female board members in uh, Carrie Anderson and Mary Schiavo. And so I've always been appreciative of that. And I think that that helps sort of pave the way for the rest of us in many respects. Um, But I, I do think that there is a you know, I lived through the old guard at Worthington and, you know, clearly probably a couple times past now, um, we're in a, a new era for leadership. And I think there is absolutely recognition that we need to be more thoughtful and we need to be more deliberate, which is a, a word I used a lot in the, in the boardroom over the years. We have to be deliberate about giving women opportunities. And that's starting to happen. We have two females operating two of our plants, okay. which is exciting doing great jobs, uh, both of them. And then I just think, you know, I feel a responsibility around that too. You know, I can't sit in the the seat that I've been in or the seat that I'm in today and not be a, um, certainly a um, advocate for making sure that really we're being smart about diversity. We talk a lot about inclusion, which I think is the right thing to think about, not so much on diversity because that will come, but really more about making sure that we are being um, an inclusive business environment um, for everybody. But I, you know, obviously feel a passion around uh, females. Um, I have mentored many in my life. I certainly benefited from having advocates and champions in my life. Um, About five years ago, I started something called the WI Women's Network. You know, that's really where we get together for educational sessions. We've had Carrie and Mary both in to sort of do a no-holds-bar conversation about their journeys. I think it's sometimes just about making sure we all understand we're in these shared experiences and, you know, how can we, how can we support each other? And most importantly, how can we have each other's back? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the more dialogue we have around those things, the better we'll be. Well, I think the last question that I like to, to kind of end on is just what piece of advice would you like to give young women who are listening to this, who are just starting out in their careers? A crazy time for them right now to be oh, my. But, you know, just any sort of general wisdom uh, that, that you'd like to pass on for people who might want to follow in your footsteps. You know, I, I would say a couple things. Be open to opportunity. If I had not believed that I could do something beyond journalism, you know, I don't know where I would be today. Probably, probably in news somewhere, um, which would have been fine. But I had opportunities beyond that role. And, and then I had opportunities present themselves that I raised my hand for. And, you know, later in my career, I, you know, got offered an opportunity that I thought, well, I don't, I don't know that I want to do that. But I realized that, you know, doing those things and, and putting myself out there really would make me better. And I wouldn't forget too that someone is probably keeping an eye on what you're doing. Uh, I would be mindful of that. Um, you know, how you present yourself Um, how willing you are to jump in on things. Um, And the other one, which is certainly one that you can have more control of, (laughs) is to pick a really great partner. And I have certainly been lucky to have 
Jeff Little as mine. Our 35th anniversary of our first date is this week. Yeah. And, you know, we've grown up together. It's been awesome that we've kind of been, you know, parallel paths at times. Have there been ups and downs? You you bet. You bet. Have there been stresses? You bet. But at the end of the day, having someone be totally supportive of you, help you through, be able to talk through all of the frustrations and, and the joyous moments too, I think is really, really important. I feel incredibly lucky to have been able to share um, all the things that I've been able to do and been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do uh, with him and our son. Those are important things. I maybe, particularly in these times, I'm thinking about that a lot more, but I am, I'm full of gratitude around that and um, can't think of anything that's, you wouldn't consider more important than that, but, um, but be open, uh, mm-hmm. be open to life, be open to the opportunity to to do something that might even be out of your comfort zone because I never believe in just doing a, you know, a move that just kind of takes your skill set and just plops you in another role. No, you should be looking for something that's going to stretch you and where you will learn. And, you know, I think if particularly women think that way, maybe we will get the, the changes we want around how women are hired and how women are thought of. So it's not sometimes men are hired because their potential and women are hired because of what they've done. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to see that trend changed. And I think we do that just by putting our nose down and doing a great job. And, and truly, that's what I've done my whole life. I've tried to offer up the best of uh, everything that I do and um, let everything else fall where it may. I've stood up for myself. Don't get me wrong. I've done that. But I always have believed that it's my body of work that you know pushes me forward and, and then is something that gets noticed. So... I guess about all I got. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And it was, uh, it was a delight to talk to you virtually. Hopefully we can meet in yeah. person at some point. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kathy, for being on the podcast. And it was great. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.